listening to Carnivore Conversations, a podcast exploring the benefits of keto, carnivore, intermittent feasting, and other lifestyle hacks. Each week, we'll be interviewing a special guest from the keto carnivore community and so much more. This is your host, board-certified and practicing physician, Dr. Robert Kiltz. I really, really appreciate you uh, joining me today uh, and, and sharing your philosophy and, and beliefs in, in uh, nutrition, health, diet, and in the causes of disease. Thank you. That's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Well, well it's my pleasure. Where, where are you? Are you in uh, Hungary now? Yes, I'm based in Hungary. Yes. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this nutritional world, because that's really what what we're in as as sort of a foundation of of health and wellness, which is opposite. I'm I'm a traditional Western trained physician, and mm-hmm. nutrition was never shared in in our world yeah. as the cause of disease or the cure of disease. Yeah, that's um, the same thing applies uh, for me, even if uh, I am a biologist. Um, uh, as a background, I am a researcher, and uh, but I've always been involved in clinical research. I've been my workplaces were neurological departments, and specifically epilepsy ward. I spent um, quite some years uh, in epilepsy wards. And um, I, I was into um, researching uh, patients, EEG, electroencephalography, so brain activity um, of the disease, brain, healthy. And then um, I, I was involved in, in sleep research too. We set up studies to find out how sleep affects memory, memory consolidation. And um, so, so this this was my original background. This this is how I was trained, and and it had not to um, it it didn't have much to do with with nutrition or vitamins or whatever, only with disease and medicines. So this is where I started from. So in your scientific um, early years, it was the measurement of of particular parameters to try to understand the disease. And yes, it was the, the diagnosis itself. It, it, so the and diagnostic we, part, and and that's still okay. There's still not much problem with the diagnostics, and 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 there are great achievements that has been done since I am also since I'm not too much into that field. It it, it is progressing really beautifully. The the new MRI techniques, the more and more sophisticated. Uh, electroencephalography techniques, um, blood works for very specific uh, parameters. All, all this is very good, and, and, and this field is progressing. It is a treatment side that is not progressing too much. But I'm, I'm curious, before we get to sort of the treatment side of the, of the nutrition, is, is the causative side of the diseases? And, and maybe those sort of, 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 of come together in a way, but when did you begin to look at the, the cause of the diseases? And maybe you can help us explain a little bit the links between nutrition 
itself? Mm -hmm. So the starting point was uh, vitamin D because um, mm, 10 years ago, it was that the, the vitamin D related research started trickling into standard medicine. <laughs> so we, we asked the first question with my, my then colleagues whether if vitamin D is known to be so closely correlated with, with epilepsy, why do not we try to supplement patients with vitamin D, epilepsy patients who are not uh, reacting any anti-epileptic medications, who have um, <clears throat> several seizures a day, why not doing this? And then we set up a first very small trial where we corrected low vitamin D levels uh, in, in a small set of um, epilepsy patients. And mm -hmm. it turned out that, that in the end, um, we achieved a 40% seizure reduction in patients who couldn't be helped in any other way and suffer disease for, for a long time and, and really had severe epileptic seizures. So this was my starting point, and then I, I did. Um, I, I started uh, becoming interested in vitamin D and how um, this is interrelated with many other brain conditions and other diseases. And of course, the next step was 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 the world behind vitamin D because vitamin D is just one vitamin. Of course, you cannot uh, cure a very complicated disease with one white one diet vitamin is more complex. And uh, <clears throat> so this is how I started entering the nutrition field. And then I found out that there are ways to change nutrition as a whole. And, and um, <clears throat> changing nutrition as a whole is always more important than um, starting understanding a disease from the single nutrient approach. And so what was the magic moment that that sort of brought you into that arena and thinking about nutrition as as a very important component as the treatment and, and potentially the cause of the diseases? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it was 10 years ago when I uh, came across the periodic nutrition, periodic science Um as, as it was very beautifully described in a book of Lauren Cordain, I, I think he, he's, he's a big figure behind this movement. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> he was the one who pointed out uh, the importance of uh, intestinal permeability, the role of intestinal permeability behind diseases. And um, yeah, I, I think that, that that's his major <clears throat> understanding and that we have to go back to eating uh, a species appropriate diet in the first place to be able to cure diseases so this this was his philosophy and and this is the the physio philosophy that that catched my thinking because i'm also coming from an evolutionary background this was even if nutrition itself was not part of my education uh, to to any extent but I, I think I received a, a very strong um, evolutionary, um, gained a strong evolutionary uh, understanding of, of of life. What, what was what was your your um, your undergrad or or your 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 graduate teachings? Uh, where did you go to uh, do your your um, teachings? Um, 
so now we, we in Hungary, we have another education system than yes. you have in the US. So uh, our building is more general rather than specific. Mm -hmm. We are specialized only in the last two years. And my specialization was uh, anthropology and uh, medical uh, medical science, human medical science. So and, and it refers to evolutionary primates. I, I did primate behavioral ethological research. And I, I was still vacillating for a long time whether to go towards primate ethology or into uh, into medicine. And so you chose the the PhD route in medicine and the and the scientific research approach versus the straight mm -hmm. uh, medical practice. Is that is that the 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 path for you, or 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 in your particular environment that because you do offer a lot of medical advice uh, in what you're doing, which I mean, lots of people are doing that. I'm just curious on how that field works in your particular area. So I, I did my PhD at the medical university, uh, Samuelis Medical University in Hungary. So I earned my PhD at the medical university, not uh, my original university. Uh, but, but myself, I'm working uh, with a team. You know, it's not only me, and I'm working with uh, physicians. Um, this is a kind of a net of um, physicians, dietary advisors. So it, it is not only me who is uh, behind. And whenever we treat and um, deal with patients, we we always dealing with patients as a group. So it is never a one-to-one. -one. Mm -hmm. There are always three persons uh, in, in, in the team. Can you talk maybe about that uniqueness? And I know that's not our typical nature in, in Western medical practice. And how do you think that's had more value? Uh, and I think it sounds that way, that maybe we're able to see it from different ang angles based on your knowledge and experience versus the doctors. And It, it is a completely other world, I have to tell you. Other so world. Yes, other world. So, you know, there is not much uh, communication. It is based on a completely other set of information mm -hmm. uh, as regards the causes of the diseases, you know. And uh, actually, the, the major difference as compared to standard medicine is that standard medicine do not know a cause actually for any disease. Right. So if you look, try to look at the etiology of the disease, in the end, they always say it is idiopathic. We do not know. We do not know the reason. We do know a few things, whether it is more frequent in men or women or the opposite, or if you smoke, then you are more prone to develop this disease. But what is happening if you are if you do not smoke or you are you are young or you are old? So these are not real. So you, they, they are not real causes of the disease, and they just admit that this is genetic. And this is a the blanket <laughs> uh, answer uh, to anything that that they do not uh, actually know. And if you step back, and here comes uh, the evolutionary approach into play. If you mm -hmm. step back and see humans as a as a species um, that evolution itself brought about, and compare it to other species on Earth. Um, you can see that this is the only species 
with so many devastating disease and, and dying from those disease in great numbers in the end, as opposed to, and you can pick any animal, a lion or zebra or, or drosophila, whatever, who, 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 who do not suffer from such chronic diseases lifelong. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. they die a natural death as opposed to, to humans. And then the next thing that this was not always that way, that there is a um, almost exponential increase in, in the, in the uh, incidence of um, certain diseases. Diseases start at a younger and younger age. So there, there has to be uh, an explanation. There has to be a cause for, for this um, very strange pattern of phenomenon. And so based on your anthropologic background and, and in, in what you sort of learned from the, from uh, Lauren Cordain and what your team approach has been, uh, how is it you brought in uh, a change in nutrition from just focusing on, on vitamins to beginning to engage in a completely new different a protocol. Um, would you specify this question? Sure, 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 sure. Well, uh, at some point, you said ten years ago, you you looked at and began to uh, look more at uh, nutrition and Paleolithic diets, and then uh, how did you begin to integrate this in the practice of caring for uh, patients? Mm -hmm. So I, I, I didn't integrate uh, I, because I, I did a complete switch to uh, to this area because the two are uh, quite incompatible. You know, as, as I said, you uh, <clears throat> we, we greatly appreciate the diagnostic part of the current medicine. <clears throat> but when it comes to um, explaining the causes and the treatment, that is not compatible with almost anything what uh, standard medicine tells us so we can speak about red meat that has been vilified for decades mm -hmm. organs uh, animal fat uh, uric acid um, and so on and so forth so you you cannot find too much common ground uh, with standard medicine and uh, you can debate a lot about cholesterol, you know, back and forth, back and forth. This is an endless debate. So in my opinion, it's much better to start from the end result. We can see that people, patients who switch their diet to eating a meat fat based diet uh, can recover. They recover completely. They have a low inflammation level and the inflammation is a bit culprit with, with any disease, they um, exhibit very good vitamin levels without taking supplements. So it, 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 is, it is much better to go with a positive experience um, coming from individual practices, even if it is an, an equal one uh, sample, uh, as it has been done you know, decades before, if you go back to 100 years earlier or, or anything like that. 
they they, all, they learned from each other and and they they move forward based on the positive achievement the end results and whether they understand understood it or not they always went with a good experience mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and the the medical world environment that you're in how open are they uh to these the nutritional changes in america certainly very close-minded i've been reprimanded from talking about this uh my license has been been uh, uh, uh threatened uh by this and are you seeing the same type of environment where you are or or not quite similar <clears throat> quite similar and not, not much change in the last 10 years um, i have to tell you uh, but i think here in europe we have um, um, we have more room so practitioners have more room um, the, the, there is something that is called um, medical freedom you know if you are a practitioner you retain um, a certain degree of freedom in what you propose to a patient and it is always uh, the combination of what you are suggesting and, and the patient is accepting from what you are saying and then you are uh, supposed to do a common decision and, and this is something that is set in the law in the, in the Hungarian I think also in the EU law of mm -hmm. health care and you can always go back so so there is some legal grounding for this but but that's another question that um, everyday health care uh, doesn't really care about this and there are there are fields that are more difficult like the diabetology and the oncology i think they are they're they're very closed minded and not too open to uh, nutrition and uh, switching their mind um but but maybe others mm -hmm. so general so, practitioners but in uh, your ten, in your 10 years of the paleolithic and moving more towards uh this pkd diet and we'll talk more about that you're likely seeing a lot a, a lot more interest over the last what three to five years or uh and and that part's growing would you say no, I, I wouldn't uh, say anything like this. <laughs> so that, that there is not much openness. Um, well, well, hopefully with the continued conversation, we're going to be able to crack some of this uh, very hardened nuts. Can you talk a little bit about leaky gut and the damage in the bowel and whether or not that may be sort of the, the initiator of much of the diseases and comment about mm -hmm. that? Yeah, so in, in the intestinal permeability, uh, which is also called the leaky gut phenomenon, is a, is a crucial um, concept uh, behind the development of autoimmune diseases and cancer. And, and, and this, um, this theory says us that there are certain food components from our diet that are increasing, elevating the intestinal permeability through the disruption of cell-to-cell -cell, uh, junctions and communications that help the bowel uh, functioning as a barrier 
between our gut and the rest of the body. So if we are eating certain food components like uh, grains, uh, many cereals, milk, dairy, nightshades, and there is a long list, then we may be producing a leaky gut, an increased intestinal permeability. And if somebody has an elevated intestinal permeability over years, in, in some other cases only for a few days or single occasion with a huge elevation in intestinal permeability, they become very prone to develop a certain autoimmune disease. And uh, I'm saying certain because we, we do see, and others also do see, um, specific relationship between certain food items and certain autoimmune diseases. Uh, but anyway, once they have developed and they have an established uh, autoimmune disease, uh, they are stuck into that autoimmune disease until they do not change their diet as a whole and also in the right direction what is needed to be changed <laughs> and and the we we our first line is to label the di a disease and then pick a drug and then treat it based on that and understand sort of the natural history of these diseases uh, which mm -hmm. either end in in, in more drugs or, or other organ failure and things like that. Um, is it possible that, that all the diseases essentially are caused by the same thing, but, but we just label them differently because that's kind of, we're focused on organ systems in disease labeling. Uh, you know, diagnostic criteria for diseases can be quite, quite arbitrary. So we do see uh, an increase in the number of autoimmune diseases 100 every year. So mm -hmm. they are defining another and another and another autoimmune disease, which, um, which is not quite sure that it is indeed uh, a unique and another disease than something that was already defined before. So, and, and there are many overlapping diseases. I, I wonder, I wonder we're just labeling. We label them as different, but they're not really different. But it's it's like your car. Your brakes go, your carburetor goes, your tires go, the paint job goes. They're still caused by the, the general inflammatory processes of the environment. And we're same thing for our bodies, but we all have our subspecialties. And so we still like to link them to, you know, something unique and different. Uh, some people will die from a peanut. Some people seem not to die from a peanut but but maybe the peanuts are bad for all of us but they we just we don't see the same uh acuteness so chronic conditions are not different but the re the immunologic reaction is different yes um that, that should be true the, the the autoimmune process leading to the development of any autoimmune diseases should be very similar. We just do not see that part of the that development. We only see the end result. Right, right. And so back to uh, epilepsy, because we know that epilepsy, if you look back years, the ketogenic diet was sort of the, the first line therapy. Did that come into play for your team early on or 
or or not? Um, yeah, yes, we, we, I, I think uh, it was Crohn's disease, which was the most frequent disease when, when we started. And then, the, then there has been almost anything that, that, that are in the textbooks. So not, not specifically epilepsy. Actually, epilepsy is a very difficult disease uh, if you try to cure it with a, with a, with a, with a diet. Uh, because epilepsy patients are taking medicines uh, and there are a lot of interactions between the diet, between the medicine um, and, and vitamin D, and, and there are many. And it, epilepsy patients are very sensitive to anything that is outside of the diet. And this includes anti-epileptic medications, uh -huh, uh -huh. which is, of course, if you can imagine a pill, it is containing 20 um, chemicals, artificial materials, lactose, sugars, vegetable oils, and these are all provoking uh, the epilepsy. But of course, you uh, so it can ha absolutely happen that you completely do the diet and you still see no improvement in the seizures. Um, so it, 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 it is a vicious circle. And therefore, this disease is, is, is very, very difficult in most of the cases. So not everybody is that disciplined or can wait out a long time eating a very restrictive diet um, to see the benefits. So, but it is possible. It is theoretically, it is possible. Those who stick to the diet long enough and went through all the adaptation and tapering down of the medication gradually, slowly, everything, they, they do see improvements, but sometimes it takes a long time. Well, maybe you could tell us a little bit about the paleolithic versus ketogenic versus the paleolithic uh, ketogenic diet. <laughs> So um, originally, uh, we are coming uh, from the Paleolithic diet, uh, which uh, implies that you shouldn't eat um, anything that was not available for your ancestors. And as it has been defined by Lauren Corden, it, ex it is excluding six items. And, and this is how most people define, or if you look at the published studies, this is how they define the paleolithic diet. Exclude the six, six items, but you can still eat uh, vegetables, fruits, artificial sweeteners, yes or no, supplements, yes or no, lean meat, fish, not much organs. So this is how in reality. And we very early find out that um, applying this diet uh, will not reverse uh, autoimmunity or cancer. Mm -hmm. It may result in, in benefits, many metabolic benefits, like anything that is related to glucose control, but it will not affect the autoimmunity side. And, and we found out um, with my um, colleague Chopatot at that time that, that we really have to exclude everything outside meat, fat, organs, all right. We okay, got you. we are back. We got yeah. you. We got yeah. you. So, uh, Ruth, you, I think we were removing and, and, and sticking to the uh, meat and organs, right? 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so you need to be very specific uh, with all details with the diet um, to see the end result that you want to see. So that's why how the, the, the paleolithic ketogenic diet differs from both the paleolithic and the ketogenic diet. So we, we had to find a different name that uh, differentiates this diet from the, from the simple regular paleo diet. And this is what we found out. And this was way before the, the cardamom movement started. So that's why we, we use this and, and we stick to this. So you specifically say meat and fat. I mean, most people say meat, and but but the problem with meat is that there's either lean meat or medium fatty meat or really fatty meat. But it's it's a hard one. Even carnivore, the word carnivore is once again animals. But but uh, it, these are all very difficult to understand for for a lot of people. Where does keto come in to this? It's your phrase then. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have to compile a diet that also ensures ketosis in the end and, and that's crucial and this concept uh, actually goes back to somebody who is called Walter Boeklin he's he's a gastroenterologist who wrote a book about this in 1975 the stone age diet and he was a practitioner gastroenterologist and uh, he, he described... Well, it's a beautiful world we live in. It's just the yes. nature of the world. We have to be sort of okay with all of it, right? Yes. So, <laughs> I, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. And if for some reason it, it blanks out, we'll we'll come back another... If it doesn't, you yes. know, don't worry about it. Don't worry about we it. Just continue. No problem. We go with the flow. And so... And so the, yeah, the, I just wanted to finish that. that please, he, was the yes. one, he, he was the one who used uh, the term meat fat based diet. So he didn't use carnivore, he didn't use meat diet, he used meat fat based diet. And, and, and he was right. He didn't even speak about ketosis, he was not into keto, um, keto measurements, you know, it was not that available at that time. He used what he, he had access to, but, but he, he was very sure in saying that this is a meat fat diet and so let's just talk a little bit more about the treatments of the diseases your clinic which is paleo medicina yes i see yeah. now paleo medicina double word okay it in 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 uh, hungary correct where yeah. is it it is in hungary but we are accepting international patients uh, online because we moved into the online sphere because of the COVID and everything. What's the, what, what is the, uh, uh, how can they find you online? Um, they can find uh, us through our website, uh, nutriintervention.com. Uh, this is our webpage. And we'll make sure we attach that to um, this, this uh, post for sure. And, and when did you begin to really start um, incorporating the PKD, can we just call it PKD diet, mm -hmm. or PKD, right. into the treatment of, of cancer uh, in specific and other diseases? Mm -hmm. um, it, it was all, uh, already early on, so almost um, 10, 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. It was not... Uh, uh, intentionally done so, but as you also know, uh, people who are approaching you do not do very rarely have only one condition, you know. Right, 
Right. They, they uh, approach you because of diabetes or because they're obese, but then it turns out that they have a cancer, whatever. And then you start treating them with a PKD for diabetes because you know that 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 uh, it works for that. You may think that you, you very likely do not harm uh, the cancer disease because you know some background or some studies or anything. And in the end, you, it turned out that you can control blood glucose and you can control tumor progression too, even if this was not expected in the beginning. So this is how we uh, started um, collecting experience and, and long uh, patient histories. And it turned out that wherever we use it, um, uh, it, 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 it is uh, efficient if the patient uh, really sticks to the diet. If you can, if you have blood works to show uh, that the patient sticks to the diet. And here comes the diagnostic part. You always have to ascertain that the patient is doing what is supposed to do and not something else. And there are so many other factors. Um, that uh, patients sometimes feel tempted uh, to combine with the diet approach because they think, okay, two approaches is more than one approach, <laughs> uh, but uh, they may be going against each other and then the end result may not be the best. So you talk about surgical uh, 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 chemotherapy um, or other medicines along with the nutritional you know, there are, there are supplements, there are crazy plant extracts, uh, antioxidants, whatever, that, that have a, a very limited um, evidence that they are working in, in humans or, or anywhere. And uh, this, is, this is coming from the marketing side, not, not really from the scientific side. We're all so they may be maybe may doing harm. So I, I can I can tell you an example of, uh, of an epileptic child who was doing the PKD and, and he didn't improve. He went on having seizures and he stick to the diet. And then after a few months, it turned out that he's still taking vitamin C because um, parents thought that if you are eating meat and fat, how do you have vitamin C? So they they decided on their own to to give uh, him vitamin C supplements on the top of the diet because they thought that that that's just vitamin C. That's just mm -hmm. like water mm -hmm. or air or nothing. Right, right, right. But in reality, that that may be doing harm and increasing intestinal permeability. So really goes against what you are doing with the diet. And the end result is not perfect. He is it, became seizure-free when stopping the vitamin C too. So it is very tricky when somebody says, I tried, but didn't work for me. You have to be very careful. So is it the vitamin C, the vitamin, or is it the products that come along with it? But ultimately, no animals taking vitamins. I mean, we never took vitamins through the majority of our, our existence. We didn't yeah. look vitamins we ate a a a meat fat based nutrition as hunters not as grazers which is our our nature yes exactly this is exactly how you are saying this 
we, we never had uh, vitamins in an isolated form. You, know, you, eat, you either eat plants or animals or whatever, but you never eat vitamins in an isolated form. And the, the, the other thing is that supplements are uh, containing minerals or vitamins in another version, other form, than it is to be found uh, in a plant or in, a, in an animal. Like magnesium, you can never find magnesium in, in the same version. Then it is to be found in a supplement. The, 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 um, we didn't live in a world of bottles and, and pills and shots and, and, and uh, treatments. So the, the, um, the types of meat that is recommended or uh, products in, in your nutritional recommendations? Um, so the, the basic rule is to eat four-legged animals, big four-legged animals. And this includes pork, beef, sheep, goat, lamb, basically these four. If you are living in Sweden, you can have access to reindeer, or if you live in Canada, so there are other possibilities, but the majority of the people are doing great on this stuff. And the pork is something that is um, a little bit tricky because pork is fed in another way in the US um, than in, in, in Europe or specifically in Hungary. Uh, the, the rules are more strict, how you can feed, how you can treat an animal. Um, and that's why there may be differences. Pork is not always of that good quality in the US, but, but other animals, other four-legged animals are okay. Iberian ham, uh, pork from Spain, yeah, that that, that 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 should be okay or almost okay. Okay. What about poultry and fish? What what is detrimental about it or not recommended? Mm -hmm. uh, so the overall uh, nutritional density um, is not as high as uh, in any four-legged animal. If you just uh, look at the color of the fish or the poultry, it is almost white. Mm -hmm. called white meat as opposed to red meat so and, and this is because there's a huge difference uh, in the iron content and the other thing is the is the fullness uh, of the nutrients so you will not be able to find too much vitamin c in the fish or poultry or eggs there is almost zero if not zero there is always some vitamin c in the meat um, and in the organs specifically. So this is the major difference. Um, the nutrient density and the fullness of the, the nutrient spectrum. Uh, and the other thing here is that fishes and poultry uh, can be manipulated to a bigger extent mm. as compared to a beef that is grazing, basically, only. And there's less fat in... in, in fish and poultry the way we eat it the white chicken breast and the fillet of fish also is, is a little bit of factor um yes it is it can be a factor and what about what about salt and iodine any comments on on that in use in when you're eating the meat and you need do you need an iodine supplement mm-hmm uh, you, you do not need to take iodine supplements because you will have iodine 
from your meat. If you're eating liver, that will be containing iodine. And um, you do not have to bother too much about uh, uh, calorie tables or nutrient uh, density tables because it is a better way to, to look at the blood work. And whenever if we look at the blood work, we always see that iodine level is in the good range. Mm. If somebody is doing PKD in the perfect way, and, and this is the case with basically every other nutrient, um, not vitamin C, but that's another story, but whatever nutrient and uh, ions or minerals you look at the blood level for, you will see that it is in the good range. So there is no need of iodine. And you can ask any nutrient and, and, and the answer will be the same. So it is better to approach this question from the whole, uh, from nutrition as a whole, rather than rather from the single nutrients. What's your thoughts on eggs and milk products? On, on what? A eggs, uh, eggs. Uh, eggs and, and, mm -hmm. and milk products. Mm -hmm. Where do they fall into? So milk and milk product is a no in the PKD because of milk protein. And the uh, same would go for butter? Yeah, it, it goes the same for butter because it is still containing some residual. And mm. the same goes uh, for the ghee. Mm. So it, protein. And it is very crucial in some diseases. It may not be crucial in others or those who are relatively healthy, but there are certain cases like type 1 diabetes, prostate cancer, breast cancer. These are very closely related to milk protein. So those that have, the, have any disease and are doing PKD using any milk products really should be out. Yeah, it should be out. It should be out. And eggs can uh, be a part of the PKD, uh, but um, in a starting uh, phase of the PKD, we very often um, suggest avoiding eggs because of several reasons. But the aim is to keep the number of variables as small as possible in the beginning, you know, so that we can achieve result in a short as possible time. I was I was watching a documentary on polar bears once, and polar bears hunt uh, ring seals. But when they can't find them, they will go on the cliffs and eat the eggs of the birds. But that's yeah. that's not their their primary desire. They would just love to stick to the ice and find the seals. So maybe that's for us too. And in some way, is we couldn't hunt the meat, and we figured out that we could get some chicken eggs and that mm -hmm. tells us over in some way. So. Yes, that, that, that should be in that way because we always hunted uh, for uh, for four-legged animals and the bigger, the better. So eggs and poultry is on, on the other end of the spectrum because it is just more ecological, uh, uh, energy efficient, you know, <laughs> take down a huge animal rather than collecting eggs one by one. The the organ meats and how critical are they versus just the liver or is that even so critical? <clears throat> yeah, so the number one organ meat is the liver. And uh, we suggest to eat brain or bone marrow uh, on in addition. Um, and and that's, that's all what is needed to be done 
uh, on the orgamid side, you can do anything else. Uh, but liver and brain or bone marrow is, is a must if you um, want to include the entirety of the nutrients. Other one, otherwise, you may miss something out of the nutrients. So, so getting all three of those is important versus just the liver, would you say? No, the brain and the bone marrow are alternatives. Alternatives, but not critical. One of them is critical. Okay, any one of those? Anyone, yes. Okay, okay, all right. And, and maybe you tell us a little bit about fasting in the PKD approach. We do not use fasting. Mm -hmm. uh, we do not recommend it on um, on any basis. But it depends how you define fasting, because a lot of people who eat once a day think that they fast for 24 hours, which is um, true, actually. But uh, if you are eating PKD, then it is just a normal uh, meal rhythm. It is not anything beyond uh, a normal um, meal rhythm. In my understanding, fasting is that you prolong, you go way farther than you would like to otherwise. I mean, so most people in the world, I don't know, most people in the world, I mean, we probably didn't eat more than one meal a day or less for millions of years, I imagine. But yes. we're today eating at least two, if not three, many parts of the world. Yes. Does that so that's not built into the PKD approach? Um, the, the first suggestion is to eat twice a day, and that mm. is usually enough for anybody. And, and, and there are ones who eat only once a day, and you know, it, it is depending on a, on a specific situation. Sometimes, very, very rarely, that there are occasions that somebody is very under, undernourished or the, the, the stomach has removed or something that is a very specific condition that, that requires that they eat three times a day. But <clears throat> that, that's a minority of, of the other cases. But we do not suggest fasting in general because anything that is uh, to be achieved by fasting, you can achieve by the PKD alone. Mm. So they claim that you can get a glucose control with fasting but you can get a glucose control with a PKD because it's a low-carb diet. They say that you can achieve inflammation control, but you can achieve it with a PKD too. So we, we do not see any major benefit uh, from fasting. And um, in some cases with patients, it, it can also be detrimental because you need nutrients. You need nutrient intake. If you stop, if you are anemic for example and you stop eating red meat you can you can worsen your anemia or vitamin d or anything is is rare better than well done meats is there more value to raw or rare meats versus yeah to some degree yes to some degree it is it is less if something is less cooked mm. uh, but it doesn't make a very big difference and um, I, I hear about a cookbook, and and are you yes. coming out with a cookbook? Maybe tell us a little bit about it. Yes, it, it came out uh, in September. Ooh. I can show you this. This is with with me. 
So this book was uh, put together by Natalie Daniels, who is our uh, nutritional assistant. She is the one who helps uh, patients with a diet and how to effectuate the diet in a proper way. And she she's the one who put together this, this book. It is containing 85 recipes. And uh, I can tell you that each recipe is very distinctly different from the other ones. So this is not just a steak and eggs book. <laughs> but there is a variability of, of, of different meats. And there's a lot of creativity in the book and includes a lot of organ meats, which is something that uh, patients wanted to see because uh, since they do not have a background um, or any knowledge how to deal with brain, or this is not oh, something yes. that, right. that we were brought together. Bro um, um, so this is not coming from our culture. Or is, it found on, is it found on Amazon or your website? Um, no, it, it, it is on our website only right okay. now. So okay. there. Well, we'll add a link to that on our website also. That'd Thank be you. great. Yeah, because uh, we, we all love the culture of food, which is <laughs> probably the biggest challenge for most people uh, in, in this world because our social cultural norms are variety and fruits and vegetables. It, it, what, can, how, do you, how do you approach that in helping people get to the level they need to be? Hmm. <laughs> So our patients are usually coming from the, the carnivore uh, society or ketogenic, low carb. So they are um, a little bit uh, prepared already. So they are already not eating everything. So they, they did a little bit of research or anything like that. So they're, they're just happy if we are able to provide them <clears throat> recipes or anything. But there may be real cultural differences because Western uh, countries and the U.S. more so um, is, is very far-fetched from our evolutionary adapted diet. And uh, here in uh, Hungary or in Central Europe, we, we still have our roots to this uh, ancient gastronomy. So it is still part of the culture. We were still eating uh, grazy breads when we were children. You know, but we know what pork fat is, or we know what liver is. So it is not that far from our culture, but this may be um, completely different in another country. Do you think the problem can be solved by sticking in uh, with mostly a, a, a PKD uh, nutritional uh, plan for much of us, most of our lives, but then from time to time having that, that gastronomic uh, adventure. But the problem is we made a party every day instead of those holidays once in a while. Yeah, so the social factor uh, is a big thing here because everybody um, likes to eat together with a family or friends, party, going out, restaurants. This is what we are enculturated. And 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 um, this is not doable or you, you may have difficulties with doing this. But hopefully think, things will change as there are... I guess many 
you know, vegetarian places, vegetarian restaurants, vegetarian shops uh, to offer something for those who are vegetarians. I think the same will happen for, for low carb or carnivore meat eaters. It is it is depending on the on the customer choices as with anything else, I guess. So would we really say that our traditional diets currently are the cause of disease? Yes, that's and sure. the cure of these diseases is simply going back to a stone age uh, meat fat based nutrition and staying mm. away from fruits or vegetables or milk products, cheeses, obviously of any significance or frequency. Mm -hmm. Yes. This is basically as simple as said, but uh, sometimes it's difficult to, uh, to do it in our real lives, but it is doable. And if you have no suffering diseases, this nutritional advice is really for everyone. Yes, <clears throat> this is this is for everyone because you are should be still interested in preventing the conditions that other people die in. And everybody wants to live a long and healthy life <clears throat> without diseases. Specifically, if you had somebody who suffers such a disease in your family <clears throat> and, and uh, see those loved ones helpless or, or or suffering from side effects of chemotherapy or medication, then, then you may have an additional uh, motive to not to get there because you have already seen it. Plants are potentially harmful and toxic to us. Is that the basic? Yes, plants are our enemies. Plants are packed with various anti-nutrients, um, lectins, um, and this is part of the um, a very long struggle evolutionary between plants and animals because animals can run, can hide uh, to save their lives. Uh, plants cannot do this, so they they use uh, they are producing chemicals to save their lives. And these chemicals are produced against pathogens, viruses, uh, and also against grazing animals to some degree, and also against humans. So, so these are just pharmaceutical weapons that are stored in plants. Coffee, tea, and alcohol. <laughs> uh, I, I'm I'm assuming uh, that you agree that. They're also out. Yes, in the most strict version of the PKD, all three are out. Alcohol is out in the first place, of course. And then the next thi thing to get out with is the tea. There are differences, huge differences, actually, uh, when it comes to tea. Uh, and the same goes for the coffee. Uh, but maybe the coffee is the least detrimental out of the three. So coffee may be a compromise for somebody who is relatively healthy or already um, 
did a huge recovery and almost close to being healthy, then it may be a compromise. I've been off coffee now for four and a half months. And, Congratulations. And, and I, I don't generally drink tea, but I had it the last two days because I've been having a scratchy throat throat. But, but again, it's been my temporary medicine, but I'm feeling better now, so I'm done. And uh, But it is all the drug. They're drugs, in, essentially. Yes, yes, sure. It is just uh, the concentration what makes a drug, as we know. And and um, I, I this did I don't remember if you said anything about salt. Are we able to use it reasonably liberally, or should we not use it? Or it's okay, but don't go crazy. Usually, yes. Usually, you can follow your cravings uh, and eat according to your cravings. So it will just adjust in a natural way. You do not have to think too much about it or do not have to push yourself into uh, using more salt or eliminating salt entirely. Just just follow your cravings. And with any low-carb diet, you usually um, crave less salt because less salt is needed. The more carbohydrate you eat, the more salt you crave for. So it is not independent of your diet. You know, it is also part of the, the big picture. So just to ask sort of an open question about uh, your purpose and mission in sharing what you share. Maybe you can just tell us a little bit about what what drives you to share this completely opposite uh, in, in much of the world in science and medicine is, is not sort of uh, open to all of this. I, I do not know. I, I love people. I, I love research work. I love science. I like, um, <clears throat> you know, doing science, doing analysis, calculations, everything. I, I'm into science um, very much. I like it. And it is just uh, the consequence of the scientific results that it has a human application. And why not use if you already have those data and why not use if we can help other people to, to benefit because I am benefiting a lot from this data, but um, you know, you have your family, you have your close friend circle and, and you have other people around you. Why not help them if you can do it? Do you, do you live on this nutritional plan, by the way? Yes, of course. Is there anything? Every, anybody, everybody or anybody who wants to join has to follow this diet. Otherwise, it's not working because it's just. So every, we, we're, if you're passionate about life, this nutritional plan lifestyle is a game changer. It, it, yes, definitely. Definitely. Helps your mood, helps your well-being, psychological balance. You are more resilient, whatever is happening uh, in your life, because you do not really have a full control of what is happening to you. You know, the society, economy, politics, whatever. But you have a, you can gain a good control over your health and, and mental stability, resilience. So you can really benefit lifelong from this diet. We're, we're likely brewing beer in our bellies via a plant-based diet right fermenting fermentation in the gut yes right is that 
part of is that is that a significant problem do you think the um yes it it, it is part of the problem yes and uh, so i'm assuming if we don't need minerals we don't need vitamins we probably don't need probiotics yeah definitely you do not need it is there anything else i didn't ask that you wanted to share <laughs> and maybe you can repeat the the clinic and your website also mm-hmm. um I could speak hours and hours. Yes, me too. <laughs> Maybe that that's enough because uh, otherwise it is too much to to digest. Uh, but but the main message is just just you have to get back to what you are designed to eat, and then a lot of things will be fixed in your lives. So you do not even have to to understand the the biochemistry or, or any specific medical. Uh, result or data just do what you are supposed to eat and look at your blood work inflammation level is low or not how you feel so go with your go with these uh, feedbacks and if you have time or interested you can do further research we we regularly uh, publish sometimes single case studies sometimes group studies I would be willing to publish more because this is my primary background. I, I, I love putting studies together. I just do not have the time. Uh, but but I will be doing this um, in, in the future, I hope so. And again, the, the web page is nutriintervention.com or you can find me on Twitter under my name. So there are quite much unpublished uh, research blood works and, and data that I that I, I post on a regular basis. Well, we're going to continue to follow you, Dr. Clemens, and we so appreciate you. your energy, your passion, and love to have you on maybe for a, a live Q&A with some of our community, but yeah, uh, we uh, look, look forward to it. So thank you so much for taking Thank you very much, Robert. It was a pleasure. Sophia, God bless you. you. Bye-bye. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Carnivore Conversations, hosted by me, Dr. Robert Kiltz. And don't forget to review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening today. Check out drkiltz.com for more and subscribe to our Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and Facebook for more inspiring content every day. Take care and see you next time.